Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. I hope you're doing well. We've got a banging one today. Now, listen, you can be like a sock analyst and do all sorts of like sick, uh, you know, correlations, telemetry, pulling. You could be a red teamer and do massive amounts of zero days and get CVEs and everything. And that's cool. And that's fine. But when you're a company and AWS has an outage and all of a sudden your product is not available or you run your payroll because you're a small business and you run your payroll through Kronos and Kronos gets ransomware and you can't pay your people, how do you deal with that type of cybersecurity risk, right? It's not always all technical, although it is one big kind of ecosystem. And to answer those questions and to really dive deep into a world that I am, you know, you know, quite, quite uh, an affinity for of GRC, we're going to be talking to Craig Schultz today and Mike Lyons, who are executives, risk experts, have a ton of experience, and we're going to get into it. It's going to be awesome today. As always, I'm Jerry Ozier. This is Simply Cyber. We just drive into everything cybersecurity on this show in order to help you make and take a cybersecurity career further faster. Now, remember, this is live. So you're in the audience. We want audience engagement. If you want to drop a question to our panelists or to myself, just put a cue in front of it. So I know it's for me and you guys aren't having a chat yourself. I encourage you to have chats with yourself because it's a, it's a good time. And the Simply Cyber community is fantastic. All right, everybody, let's get into it. All right, everybody. With us today is Mike Lyons and Craig Schultz. How are you guys? Doing well. hey, we're great, Jerry. Thank you. Absolutely. Okay, so let's let's dig right into it, Mike. Before you know, we really dig into the nuances and the nitty gritty. Like, what what is corporate cybersecurity governance and or corporate cybersecurity? I may have let the cat out of the bag there, saying governance. Uh, and why is it actually important? Well. Uh, Overall governance is is important because, uh, you know, this is from the top down in the corporation. Uh, you've got to look at sustainability of the business. And in the current environment, which, you know, is rife with attacks, as we all know, uh, sustainability of the business is responsibility ultimately of the board uh, of, of directors of the company. Mm -hmm. And, and they have responsibility to the shareholders, the employees, all the stakeholders in the business. And cyber events and, and cyber issues can, in some cases, bring the entire business to a halt or stop it. And so uh, the CEO and the board have direct responsibility for making sure that doesn't happen. And they have to have governance processes in place that uh, address these issues, control the risk, and have mitigation strategies for managing that risk when something bad happens. So is this is this really a core function of the CISO and the GRC capability within an organization or does it expand larger than that? Well, I'll let Craig handle that. Uh, okay. we, we trade back and forth here. So. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So yeah, I'd say it's a much broad it's much broader uh, than just the uh, than just the CISO. Uh, because if you, if you think about it, uh, multiple people should be reporting up to the board uh, and, and not all companies do it that way, but that's the trend that we've been seeing, which is you have uh, the audit side of the house and typically traditionally it's been financial audit, uh, but we're seeing a lot of companies now moving towards cyber audit as part of that function, essentially firewall. And that comes up you know, through the audit side of the house. <clears throat> and then you have the CISO side, which 
typically is responsible for implementing uh, the policies, making sure that uh, it's done, you know, in a uniform way uh, across the company and implemented, and uh, also making sure that there are proper resources so that you're doing it correctly. And so you you get multiple avenues up to the board. And those resources so, that that brings it right back to the uh, the C-suite uh, level, because the if the C-suite is not treating the governance issues properly. The CISO may not have the resources, you know, that he or she needs to manage the, the risk. And it, the board can't just say, well, that's not our problem. The CISO handles that, you know, uh, don't bother me with that. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, we'll definitely get into uh, funding and supporting and, and whether or not a CISO is an advisor or an accountable role. But, but Craig, I wanted to ask you, so, you know, within the world of uh, cybersecurity, like, Day one is the CIA triad, but day two is what can you do with risk? And the ones that everybody knows is remediate and mitigate. Those are the hammer and screwdriver in your toolbox. But the, you know, the bizarre European, like, you know, old English all tool. And this other thing over here that no one really understands what, what that tool does is risk transfer and risk avoidance, right? And risk avoidance right. is pretty easy to wrap your head around. But transfer is really kind of the mechanism that we're thinking for these third party risks. So what kind of like, can you talk about, you know, the risk transfer mechanisms that are available and why they are important? Yeah, so you have multiple risk transfer transfer options, right? And, and typically there are four areas as you talked about, you can reject the risk, which is actually my favorite. <laughs> so get rid of the third party risk altogether, but we'll, we'll go away from that one. Uh, but yeah, in terms of risk transfer, a lot of times that happens through insurance mechanisms or, you know, even self-insurance transfer. Uh, but, you know, in terms of insurance, uh, you're expecting and, and most companies need to and don't always review the contracts that they have uh, with the third parties, which includes in insurance transfer, who's responsible for what part of the risk uh, with, with third parties. And then obviously your own insurance, uh, you know, and how that relates to third party risk. Uh, the issue that most companies are seeing right now is that third-party risk is expanding so much, so rapidly uh, from mm -hmm. ransomware, ransomware and other types of attacks that uh, premiums are going up by, you know, at least five times we've seen on average uh, this year alone. And we expect that uh, actually the coverage for that kind of third-party transfer uh, will actually be removed over time here and companies will be forced to self-insure. So it's, it's a big issue. That transfer mechanism is being reduced as we speak. Which means that they have to put in place uh, much stronger processes for managing that risk. When, when, when you know, the, there's a whole moral hazard problem here of laying off the risk on the insurance companies, and you know, you could even consider that on the compliance side as well. To say, well, this is not my problem. I'm compliant. Mm -hmm. I've checked all the boxes. It's, it's those guys don't know how to write compliance rules. Okay. Well, yeah, clearly that's not going to work. Uh, that's not going to address your business continuity issue if you think of it that way. Yeah, and Forensics Guy had a question in chat that kind of addresses directly with what you all are saying about whether companies are taking a financial hit in their cyber insurance if they, if they ignore the risk, if they choose to ignore it. And what, what are the insurance companies doing right now? They're removing the insurance. <laughs> They're, oh, just removing the, the policy altogether from the exactly. That's what's happening, is because oh. yeah, we we have experience in this area, 
you know, with the, where clients have had their insurance removed. Yeah, a couple the, of, the coverage is gone. Exactly. Right. A couple of examples here, Lloyd's of London, I think, you know, it's been reported they're just discouraging actually uh, cyber expansion uh, in this coming year across, you know, pretty much all of their syndicated partners. Um, and, you know, right now, Craig, can you define cyber expansion? What, what exactly does that mean? I mean, if they're expanding their portfolios and they're actually mm -hmm. trying to bring in new companies or expand the coverages that they're uh, looking at. And so as, as a result, what you're, you know, and, and we have a number of companies that we do, you know, insurability training for right now, uh, because, uh, they're, you know, insurers are becoming so critical in terms of who they might give insurance to and who they might not. Uh, they're becoming very picky about it. And so if you don't actually, you know, have staff who are trained in how to present your security posture and your risk posture to insurance companies, they will typically now just reject your insurance or raise your premium so high that, uh, that you know, they're essentially encouraging you not to be a part of their portfolio. Yeah. I'd like to give a quick shout out because this is as an absolute uh, fan of his work, Ron Ross, who uh, is so instrumental in the overall uh, NIST 853 and FISMA and has done so much for the federal uh, government and for what NIST has done for cybersecurity for the for the for the United States. Uh, this is awesome that he's here. And he brings up the point that, you know. We're talking corporate um, in the difference in the federal space is they can't transfer that risk outside, uh, which is just eliminates that entire option altogether. Right. Yeah. Well, thanks for joining, and, Ron. Really and, happy to see you. Very even going back to very to Ron's point, going back to very large companies where, uh, you know, their their ultimate exposure is is potentially so big. Uh, this is the too big to fail situation. And. Mm -hmm. And it goes back to Craig's point is most of those those guys are self-insuring because insurance companies are not going to cover the size of those losses. Yeah, you know, I've also seen and I'm curious if you guys have seen this, too, where the insurance companies are now saying we will insure you if you do these three things. And they're things like multi-factor authentication, privileged access management and network segmentation which are three very difficult controls to implement at a large organization in a timely manner and to do it well. And I, they're not, they don't seem to be understanding that that's not a, you don't flip a switch. You don't cut a check and get network segmentation. Uh, it's, it's quite difficult. And, and I'm not sure if that's because the insurance companies know that and they just don't want to renew the policy or if they are obtuse to what that uh, level of involvement is. What, what are you guys seeing relative to that? Uh, Craig. So, yeah, so I, I'd actually say it's, it's maybe a little bit of a combination of both. I don't know if I'd call them obtuse, but I think there, you know, there is a lack of understanding, you know, in, in exactly, you know, from a risk of loss perspective, what is it in segmentation that actually you know, reduces the pathway, you know, to, to, you know, some type of, you know, either theft of data, you know, or encryption of data. And, and so I think you're right, to some extent, you know, these are terms that are brought to them by, uh, you know, assessment groups uh, who are, you know, contracting with them. And, uh, you know, and, and so they're, they're kind of using these terms and then seeing how the company responds. This is where the company has an issue. Because the real question becomes, if I'm trying to get insurance, and I hate to put it this way, but what is the insurer expecting to see as the response of that? That's the tougher mm -hmm. question, right? 
you know, is it actually, you know, that that segmentation that would prevent, you know, uh, ransomware from being effective? Or, you know, more typically, there is a set of phrases that uh, are expected as best practice to be actually put into these responses. And so, you know, one of the things that, that we try to do is, is help in that connection, uh, just basically translating between what an insurer is asking for when they have a question like that and what is it that they're really looking for in terms of what you can do and the answer that they consider to be best practice. Uh, there's a big disconnect there, I think, between companies and insurers. Well, yeah, and then I would add not only um, doing best practices, of course, and figuring out what the insurers really want and why they're even asking the question, but once you have that, uh, you know, most, most uh, aircraft accidents, for example, are caused by what's, you know, what's referred to as loss of situational awareness. So the same thing in cyber. Uh, why are they asking these questions and what's situationally going on? What are the threats? What are they trying to get? And what are they trying to do? And, and, and everybody's situation is different. And just using buzzwords, um, you know, like, oh, yeah, we use network overlays and uh, you know, we use segmentation and we use this and the, yeah, so what? And, and, and so what is that accomplishing actually in terms of uh, your, your actual risk exposure and what are the targets that bad actors are trying to get at? Yeah, it's a, it's a tough one for the insurance companies because it, seem, it seems like they're trying to have kind of like a one questionnaire to fit all. And it, it doesn't really work. And at the same time, I mentioned privileged access management is like a, a regular one that they ask for, for, for good reason. It's an important control. But if I go out and spend 250K on, you know, some, some type of Okta solution that, you know, that I don't even know if they have PAM, but like I, I buy a $250,000 solution for PAM, I can then respond to the questionnaire. We have Okta, we have PAM, even though it's not implemented or if it is implemented, it's not implemented correctly, or you haven't done efficacy testing, or you don't have the personnel to run it, right? So, right. you know, I, I get what they're doing, but at the same time, there's pretty, you know, it's like the it's like that meme where there's like a gate, but there's no fence on either side of the gate, and there's like a well-worn trail around the gate. Um, so, I, and by the way, I do see there's some amazing questions coming into chat. I'm gonna, I'm definitely gonna pull them in. So I do see you guys uh, in chat, but I did have a question um, that I wanted to ask, um, um, I'm sorry, Mike is, you know, what are you like, what are the challenges that companies are facing when like trying to assess risk? Like, so we're talking like risk is a thing that we need to deal with. Then why is it so challenging to go deal with it? Like what's, what, what's going on there? Well, there are a lot of reasons for it. Um, and you know, for a long period of time, um, this whole field has been driven by compliance. Okay, uh, what do I have to do? I don't want to, you know, this is this, this is not a profit center for my business, right? This is not part of my business model that's producing, uh, uh, you know, earnings to the bottom line, you know, which is what the investors and the stakeholders want, all the rest of that kind of stuff. It's an expense, and so hey, let's 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 minimize the expense much as we can while we maintain compliance you know this is this is this has been a sort of mantra for a long time and hey i checked all the compliance boxes what what's your problem right so 
what the problem is now is that the losses are, you know, just, you know, exponentially accelerating um, because the tar it's a target rich environment for the bad actors. And it's a, and a largely a target risk environment, in my opinion, anyway, is because there isn't, uh, you know, adequate staffing or training or governance focus on actually solving this problem. And so you end up with things like the colonial pipeline fiasco, uh, you know, ransomware, where they, you know, shut that they had to shut the whole thing down for a while with massive economic losses, okay, to do this. Why? Uh, it's the same thing as solar winds. What, why did that happen? Okay, same thing. Uh, nobody's watching the store. And hey, uh, you know, don't bug me with this. Uh, you know, that's, that's, yeah. that's really what it is. And, and yet, uh, coupled with that, nowhere is it discussed that, hey, we can train people to fix this problem or to really mitigate it. That actually training makes a big difference, but that isn't the way it's looked at. Okay. It's the way we look at it, but because it works, you can actually teach people to fix this stuff, but that's, that's not been the traditional focus up to this point. Yeah. It's a little concerning because you, you, I, I thought we were making strides as to, you know, the information security office, getting on the board's radar, being a priority to the organization. But uh, it sounds like that's not what I'm hearing from someone who's a CEO. <laughs> well, so. No, I mean, it's not, it's not what we see. And yeah. it, it, there are certainly areas where that's not true, where they really are on top of it and, mm -hmm. and are really, really good at it. Okay, and there, there, and there are more examples like that now uh, as we go on, because the losses have gotten so extreme that uh, you know this attention is being demanded. But for years it, it hasn't been, and and there are just case studies all over the place where it was very clear that you know nobody was minding the, the, the you know the lights were on but nobody was home. Yeah. Yeah. I, I hear you. Like not having MFA in the colonial pipeline. I mean, if you go to uh, the root cause analysis, uh, not having MFA and, you know, obviously poor password management, but the MFA, I feel like was really the, the crux of that problem. Um, Craig, I, I'm wondering um, how, like, how has um, like assessing cyber risk and the threats that cyber risk addresses, how has that evolved? Um, you know, because we kind of have an idea of current state, but those who don't learn from the past are, are you know, prone to repeat it. Right, right, right. Yeah, and so I think, you know, one of the big issues here is just how do you define cyber risk and where are people's, you know, where, where's their mindset at when they think about risk? And I think, you know, that you're starting to get into kind of, you know, GRC here. And, uh, you know, kind of what are you focusing on? Are you focusing on compliance? Are you focusing on, you know, the risk itself? And I think we're starting to see a shift, you know, on the threat analysis, uh, you know, and so when you start talking about risk, you start to bring in the threat, right? You start to understand how it operates and you start to think about how do you prioritize your investment and your controls, you know, based on the threat that's hitting you. At the same time, you have this essentially, you know, um, very large um, e-crime you know, trend going on, which is essentially almost a, 
a corporate level, <laughs> you know, very well funded uh, mm -hmm. you know, set of tools that uh, are, I think, outpacing, you know, many of the security controls that we have today. And so, you know, you're really in a position now, and I, I think we're seeing it, you know, for the first time in the last two years, which is, you know, as this risk becomes extremely effective in terms of its targeting ability, what it can do, uh, you actually have to move from compliance uh, into the question of, you know, what are the threats, you know, what are they using as tactics, uh, you know, what are the supply chain, uh, you know, uh, avenues that they're taking, uh, and how are they actually, you know, uh, targeting things like, you know, your own supply chain uh, to distribute, um, you know, their their uh, malware, you know, in a very effective way. And then you have to actually spend against that. And I think risk is starting to evolve in that direction. Still has a long ways to go, but I think there's a reality now that that's that's how you know, folks actually have to invest their resources and do their analysis. Yeah, and I would add that it's 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 a little bit like the industrial internet of things too, IIoT. Um, uh, the trends in uh, the, the exposure and the attack surface problems that are created by operational technologies, OT, is getting worse and worse and worse. It, it's becoming a really big deal. And these are situations where, you know, real time is is the real deal. I mean, we're, we're talking about stuff that is happening in real time and compliance by its very nature, I think, is, you know, happens over periods of long periods of time where you have to synthesize various threats together to try and create compliance rules and so on and so forth. A, a natural process there. Um, but that doesn't match up to Craig's point of what's going on in real time. These. Mm -hmm. These, the threat landscapes and so on and so forth are are happening, you know, daily or quicker in some cases. And a compliance package that was written, you know, a year or two or three ago just doesn't cut it. It's it's just not current. Yeah, it's definitely um, like checkbox security at that point when you have an antiquated uh, CNA package, uh, no doubt. So. Um, you know, to talk about corporate. Well, I guess, uh, Mike, since you're you're on stage right now, um, you know, forensics guy did have a question about, you know, like CEOs, they know the money, right? So what, you know, how would you recommend reducing corporate risk, but on a budget? Because as you said, we are not um, a profit center, we're a cost center. And, you know, we really do have to justify, um, unless there was just a major incident, and then it seems the pocketbook opens wide. But what would you recommend for for reducing corporate risk on a budget? Well, no, this is this is one of our favorite questions. Actually, is is that uh, we're big fans of of spending the money in the right places. As to your point, uh, or forensics guy's point, uh, you don't have the money to boil the ocean here, mm -hmm. and just oh yeah, I'm just going to do everything. I'm going to buy all the controls. I'm going to do, you know, the whole thing. Okay, trouble with that approach is, for one thing, is uh, not only do you have the budget to do that, but you you have an issue that Craig brought up earlier is, okay, I got all this stuff, what do I do with it? How do I operate it? Okay, mm -hmm. what, what does it do for me? And it usually is better if you go through a, uh, a real risk analysis process where you, uh, well, we're big fans of, okay, what are we trying to protect? Let's start there, okay? 
and everybody's operation, government, company, whatever it is, is you get a different set of things you're trying that are important to you, right? And the rest, maybe not so much, okay? So you wanna see, okay, how do the threats stack up against these things that I have to protect? And then what are the best ways of, you know, what are the, the, the risk of the, the loss pathways I have to worry about? And let's lay all that out first. It's like a design problem. You say, okay, now how am I going to deploy? This is what I can afford. But, you know, this is this is what I can get the, out of the board. Or the CEO will give, give us this much money. We get to say, here's what we can do. And then you can say, okay, with that spend, this is the best we can do. Is that good enough? Maybe yes, maybe no. If it isn't, then you're in a position to be able to do a detailed briefing to the stakeholders and say, okay, we actually have to change this budget a little bit, folks, because of this. You you can show what the risk actually is and mm -hmm. calculate it. And, and until you've done that, you really don't know how to deploy the budget. Yeah, and that's why all of this great intel of incidents, and and I think why CISA just recently, Joe, you know, President Biden just passed a law that's supposed to take effect very soon, that um, kind of lays out a way for private sector to report incidents and in, in, in ransomware events. And I, I, my suspicion is that that's partly to collect tele, um, not telemetry, but to collect. Um, uh, actuarial information to be able to qualify and have better intel to make these decisions uh, that you're talking about. Um, just as a fun fact, because it came to my mind and Ron Ross was in the crowd. I mean, if you guys really want to geek out, um, there was a research paper written by Gordon and Loeb out of Maryland uh, a couple years back around economics of information security. And they actually calculated the uh, optimal number for investment into uh, an information security program and, and proved like, you know, mathematically proved that if you invest more than that, that's a diminishing return on your investment. I want to say it was like 37% of your overall IT budget. But anyways, I just, you know, it's not often I get to cite a research paper in, on this channel. So, um, you know, so, okay. So taking it, taking it a little bit um, to a more concrete example, I mentioned in the opening about AWS, we all, you know, we all have Netflix. We're all getting hit by AWS outages, right? Some of you, maybe worked at an organization that depended on AWS for providing not maybe just your product, but, you know, core security services. So I throw this question to Craig, you know, Craig Germain asks, what, what could a company do to protect themselves when this type of activity occurs? Yeah. So it depends upon which aspect of that. Are you talking about the uh, essentially the dependence on another company uh, as a service? Uh, and its impact on you, or or are you talking about the AWS situation itself? No, no, I, I think just uh, the generic idea, uh, the way I interpret the question is, yeah. your organization has some third-party dependency that's mission critical, you know, yeah. Yeah. there's only so much you can, you know, control. <clears throat> there's only so much you can control, but, you know, again, this becomes a risk, and, and you know, this is a little bit larger question, right? So. In working with companies on assessments, you know, one of the key things to do is is actually tie your risk and cyber back to your business continuity plan. And, and this is where it becomes a little more involved, but by doing that, it's a key step that it tells you what you can do. And so first thing to do is figure out if whether or not the AWS impact from the supply chain or whichever supply aspect, you know, which of your core revenue generating uh, functions actually depend upon that supply 
uh, you know, chain element. And, and that's not necessarily always easy to do. Uh, and in fact, companies go through this process, oftentimes find out that there may be one supply chain element and they oftentimes are shocked to find that, you know, maybe it's a communications element, you know, if you're in a utility or, you know, it's, 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 it's an element that you don't think about very much, but you suddenly find out that five of your critical revenue generating services all depend on it and they go down together. Uh, so, you know, so this becomes a key, a key aspect. Once you determine, you know, your supply chain and what depends upon it, then you have to determine, obviously, whether you need some redundancy, you know, within that uh, that supply chain element or whether, you know, if someone's not actually able to, you know, guarantee, uh, you know, the continuity there, then you may just want to reject that risk again, my favorite one, you know, get rid of it if you can and get to one that can actually provide more, uh, you know, more dependency. And always, you know, if it's absolutely crucial, have a response plan so that you can switch over uh, to another service that may actually provide that. So, you know, again, my key thing here is, you know, cyber has come to the point where it impacts, you know, critical business functionality. I think that's what companies are realizing and why it's, you know, essentially jumped almost to the number one business risk. And so you got to map that out. you got to determine which, you know, elements affect that. And then you actually have to put your spend in the place where you you really impact you know the revenue uh, generation side of the house so it's not just a cost anymore it's actually an investment in keeping your continuity i think that's the way companies have to look at it okay well then now if we're talking about investment uh cybersecurity is an investment that sounds a little it less is. like a cost center mike so I'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna try to win you over mike that we are not a cost center like get into some business enablement in a little bit but but Okay, so I just want to kind of role play for a second. Craig and I agree that, you know, AWS has had three outages in a row, doesn't seem really super dependable. Mike, you want to go to market with some solution that sits on AWS, and we tell you that's not a good idea and that we need to avoid that risk or, or transfer it or something like that. I, I feel like you might just say, make it work. I mean, would you consider in your role, would you consider or take that under advisement as a, uh, a potential gate, a blocker? No, I mean, I, I think to Craig's point, it's a potentially big operational risk for the, for the business. Um, and, you know, one of the so-called value propositions of, of a service like AWS is operational reliability. In other words, it doesn't go down. Okay. And that's, unfortunately not been the case uh, uh, lately. And so if, you're, if your business is really and your revenue generation capability, your customer interaction, all the rest of that stuff depends really heavily on, on a cloud service like that, then, I mean, if I were doing it, I'd say, okay, where's the backup? You know, and, and maybe what we should be doing is using a couple of them or maybe two or three of them, right? And distributing the load and, and have it configured in such a way that it's really easy. One, one goes down and the whole thing, you know, moves quick. Mm -hmm. you, know, you can move it quickly and there are ways of doing that. There are third and, parties that do that. Yeah. And there are third parties that do that. And this is what I would do because it goes back to that whole risk profiling that we talked about a minute ago is that your business continuity is critical. And, and just imagine, I uh, mean, look what happened uh, in case studies like Target, you know, well-documented 
uh, you know, failure, uh, where a lot of customer information was lost and hacked, stuff like that. And I mean, these these are very serious problems. And um, you know, the CEO in that case uh, was removed. You know, for these these kinds of failures, this is a pretty serious business. And I I don't think businesses can actually tolerate this. Uh, <clears throat> and they certainly these are potential company ending events mm -hmm. if they are not handled right. I mean, look at the, uh, you know, you know, things like, um, uh, you know, continuity events like the Boeing Max failures, you know, mm -hmm. things of that nature. You know, these are potentially company wipeouts if you don't handle them right. Yeah. And these, yeah. these, these outages like AWS are potentially, you know, same kind of thing. Well, so it's okay. So obviously it's very important to do the risk assessment well, so you can have that information and make those, uh, you know, advise basically the executives on what they need to do and how much it's going to cost and what the risk is. So I, I do want, I, I wanted to begin to move the conversation towards actually those skills and talking about those, those type of things. So Alexis dropped a really great question. We know that we need to do a, a risk assessment, but Craig, like, What's the best way to do a risk assessment? Uh, and is there significant training gaps actually? Uh, so let's start backwards on that one. So yeah, there, there are, you know, yes. in our experience, <laughs> significant training gaps. And, and I think we all know, right? Just the general lack of, of skills, you know, and the general lack of, of actual, you know, people who are in cybersecurity right now is creating just a, a bad situation. Uh, people are overworked, they're putting out fires most of the time, uh, and, and you just get into a position where a lot of companies uh, don't have the time to do, you know, a valid risk assessment. So, so already you're starting off, you know, a, a little bit behind uh, in terms mm -hmm. of, of doing this. Uh, and, and then, you know, but assuming you do have the skills, how do you go about it? And there are two ways to do this, right? The typical way, I'll just give you the, the one we normally see is you go off and you take, you know, NIST 853 and you, you do, a, you know, an assessment across that. It's a little more of a compliance assessment. And I end up, let's say I'm company, you know, A, you know, company A and, and I get, you know, uh, 120 NIST compliance, uh, you know, areas where I need to improve. And so now the question becomes, okay, what do I do with 120 of these? It's probably, you know, if I look at the budget to actually implement these, we're talking about, you know, maybe let's say $70 million worth of expenses to, to come up. And how much do I invest? Which one do I invest more in versus the other? So then you say, okay, how do I do a proper risk assessment? And, uh, and so typically the way uh, in assessments we found that works best, and, and I think the best assessors realize that, is you work it backwards. You can't work risk assessment from the front. There are too many holes. And so you got to work it backwards from the assets. So you got to figure out first, what are the assets you're trying to protect? And typically, you'll work the assessment back uh, from those assets, uh, and look at the pathways that you can protect uh, all the way back out, you know, to your outer perimeter, and do the assessment that way. And then rank things based on, you know, the impact on mission critical assets to the company. Uh, that's one of the only ways to really properly rank, I believe, you know, your risk, and then determine where you're going to invest. And then the second thing you have to do is work with, you know, the the actual team to realize that there's no right answer to this. And a lot of people tend to think there's a right answer, just do it all, or you just 
apply some rule, but no, it, it actually involves working with, you know, with, with, you know, the teams to understand one, what is the risk appetite of the company as a whole, given the industry they're in industry oftentimes will control risk appetite. Uh, you know, how much risk are you willing to take in that process? And then look at the trade-offs. If you, if you don't uh, identify the trade-offs between, you know, different actions you can take. And by trade-offs, I mean, how complex is it? You know, is this something that I don't have the, you know, the people to actually implement correctly? So I'm going to, by, by implementing this control without the staffing to do it, I actually am creating vulnerabilities because it's not configured correctly as to the target example and a few others. Uh, security mm -hmm. controls become vulnerabilities, you know, if you implement them and you're not ready to implement them. They also become long-term nightmares because it may take multiple years, multiple resources, you know. So there are multiple trade-offs when you do look at these controls. And I found that every company we work with, you know, if, if you, could, you, could, you could say this is the right answer, and most of the time they'll say, no, I got more appetite for risk. I'm willing to take these trade-offs. I'm willing to spend more, or maybe I'm not willing to spend that much. So every company has to make the decision based on the trade-offs of budget, what their risk appetite is, and what they're willing to live with in terms of you know a breach, because you can't prevent everything. Yeah, I mean, I feel like it's, you know, if you think about yourself and your own personal investment in your retirement or whatever, you do have to make that risk decision. Do you go yeah. all in on stock and, and, and you know, or do you go all in on crypto? Let's get real risky, right? Do you just exactly. sell your house, put it in crypto because Dogecoin's going to the moon? Yeah, right. No, right? So Absolutely. you got to make those Sounds choices. Good. But what companies have a really difficult time with, I'll tell you just by experience, is, is actually identifying a risk that's real and then accepting it. It's very difficult to say I've identified a risk and I'm going to take it. I'm going to take this ransomware risk. And, you know, and, and most companies will kind of bury it uh, deep down in the teams, you know, and it never quite percolates up to that board level where Mike wants to know about it. Right. Because if you know you're accepting a risk to your point, you know, you, you know, you, then you're saying, OK, let's accept that risk. We may have a ransomware vulnerability here that we've got to accept because it's too much. What's our secondary? control that we're putting in place to detect mm -hmm. if it actually makes it through that first vulnerability. Now you're getting into real risk analysis a couple layers down in terms of mitigating what happens where you've accepted risk. Yeah. So I, I agree. It, it's very difficult and it's, it's critically important to be able to identify that risk well. So Mike, um, Justin had a great question that I would love the CEO to comment on. And it's how, how can how can we incentivize companies to invest in training? Well, yeah, this is a great question from Justin. Uh, one, one of the things, of course, that's incentivizing companies to invest in training is this insurance problem we talked about earlier, is, is when you can no longer um, get cyber insurance, uh, you know, unless your team can do a bunch of things to improve the company's performance, uh, you know, then company says, okay, I better train people up here to fix this problem. Okay. So that's one real obvious way to do it, you know? And, and then I think the, the, the insurance companies are starting to move in the direction, um, uh, very similar to the, the kidnap and ransom problem that used to be fairly, you know, widespread, uh, you know, perhaps 10, 20 years ago, 
especially in certain countries, um, the fact that rent, you know, that uh, these these uh, ransoms were being paid, okay, just created a business model for people, an attractive one, to keep doing it, okay. Mm-hmm. And then the insurance companies are now starting to say, Mm-mm, we're just not going to pay anymore, okay. So this is a new, I would say, a relatively new incentive for people to train folks and how to stop it, because the ability to lay the risk off onto others is is becoming much, much more difficult now. So this is this is certainly just one trend. And and then to Craig's earlier point, uh, the business continuity losses now, especially with the shift to so much cloud provider infrastructure, let's put it that put it that way, because mm-hmm. Those infrastructures can be very attractive in terms of operational costs and so on and so forth. Uh, it's it's not possible any longer, I think, to lay the risk off onto the AWSs uh, and the Azures of the world. Okay, they they do a lot, but generally speaking, it, if you're betting your company on it, this is a bad idea, <laughs> and you need to do more. And that's when the training comes in. Yeah. Love it. So it's time for a giveaway. Let me let me tee you guys all up. While the giveaway is happening, we will do the five questions round where uh, everybody loves it. Uh, guests have not heard the buzzers yet. I made them custom earlier today. So we'll be enjoying that. Let's see. All right. So it is hashtag the squad. So if you want to enter for a one month blue team labs online professional membership drop hashtag the squad in chat that's how you enter hashtag the squad and you can only enter once so putting it spamming it a bunch of times isn't going to do you any good it's just going to be annoying for everybody else so hashtag the squad all right let's do our five questions i'm I'm pumped about this okay so guys i I didn't have a a ton of time to tell you before the show but the way the five questions work is uh, I have buzzer, buzzer options and I've got five questions and you get like about a minute response. You both have an opportunity to respond. Uh, if there's any extra time, I'll give my thoughts on that particular question. Uh, it's a lot of fun. So let's check out our buzzer option. Oh, do you understand the rules, guys? One minute. Clear? Is that it? <laughs> oh, it's, 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 not, it's not. I don't. I'm not absolutely got a stopwatch or anything. Okay, here, here, yeah, here's, here's our buzzer options. Okay. So the first one. Like a boss. I figured since we had a CEO in uh, in studio, we we would do that. Uh, here's another one for Craig here. No risk, no fun. No risk, no fun. Absolutely a mantra that we roll in GRC. Next one. Risk assessment. We're f- yep. <laughs> so that actually had a bad word, but it says risk assessment. We are in trouble. <laughs> okay. And then finally, because I feel self-identified with this one. So that that's Homer just yelling nerd at you. And then of course, everybody that you guys don't know this one, but simply cyber, the audience uh, loves this particular one. I'm a crypto evangelist. I love it. Love it. Love it. Okay. So we, we have some crypto love on the channel. Okay. So, so first question. Like a mouse. Mike, give me your top prediction for 2022 cybersecurity prediction. 
uh, ransomware is no longer going to be covered by insurers. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, okay. That's bold, strong, and to the point. <laughs> Greg. Ah, you want the prediction. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so I would say that uh, ransomware is going to hit, uh, you know, the public cloud much more. And I think it's just going to continue to, uh, you know, to develop as kind of a, uh, a shadow economy. And it's going to be extremely sophisticated. And I actually think that the, uh, that the different threat groups are going to band together. And they're going to actually charge a fee for protection. And they won't attack you. Ooh, like the old, uh, old, the old racketeering protection protection racket. Oh yeah. Now that's a bold prediction, but I think it's coming. No, it's it's, it's going to be a cost-effective solution for you. Yeah. <laughs> and one and one more, Jerry. Uh, OT-based attacks are going to go way up over the next twelve months. It's they're just it's just a really attractive target, and this stuff is largely unprotected. Yeah. I think deep fakes is finally going to surface as a, a legitimate disinformation weapon, uh, and we'll see that. No risk, no fun. No risk, no fun. Uh, Craig, start with you. Is GRC a technical role? Uh, I think there are multiple different types of roles there for those who like to do GRC. Uh, some you know, are more team-oriented, not so technical. I think the risk side is the most technical. So if you're going to actually sit down, understand these risks, the pathways, and do the trade-off analysis, you're going high technical there. Yeah, absolutely. Mike, you have a thought on the technicality or the technical level of GRC? Well, yeah, I, I think it depends on where where you are in getting into it. Um, uh, but to Craig's point, if the risk part of this, really understanding this can be very, very technical. Um, uh, the compliance can be, you know, kind of more administrative, and the governance part is it, it, that really involves uh, really understanding how the whole corporation operates or the organization runs, and so might not be uh, an entry level position at all. So uh, it kind of depends on the level at which you're moving into it, but the, most of the technicality resides in the R part of GRC. Yep. All right. Like a boss. Like a boss. Okay. Back to you, Mike. Of 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 GRC governance, risk, compliance. Which one's the most important to to you as a CEO or to a program, a cybersecurity program? Which one reigns supreme? Well, we, most of our focus on our programs is in risk, and you know, how to the things we've been talking about in the show so far is you know. How do you how do you analyze it? How do you lay it down? How do you figure out where your you know risk risk priorities and management need to live? And operationally, what talents do I have to have in the organization in order to be able to control that risk? And and this comes almost always uh, you know not in compliance, but in situational awareness and operational capability and skills in order to be able to jump in and actually do it. You, you need to be able to fly the plane, not just read books about it. <laughs> <laughs> True, yeah. Uh, Craig, GRC, which one Which one reigns supreme for you? I'm gonna pick the one that isn't in the GRC acronym, but actually is part of it, uh, which which I think is, uh, is, you know, is audit. 
and I think audit is part of GRC, and I think a lot of people don't actually audit, but they actually implement controls properly. And at the end, you still get taken down because you did it all, you figured you're gonna do it, but you didn't verify that you're actually doing it uniformly across the company. Okay, I like it. I, I would, if it were me, I would say, uh, you know, I'd probably get uh, lambasted for this, but I think G, I think the governance is the most important part uh, because it sets the attitude, it sets the tone, it sets what acceptable behavior is. That's why we see with poor governance in these institutions where the senior leadership is toxic, it permeates down through everyone. If the senior leadership is promoting best cyber practices, yes. uh, I suspect the uh, company would take on that uh, attitude. No, okay. I completely yeah. agree with you, Jerry. Yeah. That's yeah. exactly right. I'm a crypto evangelist. I love it, love it, love it. Mike, are we any closer uh, to stopping ransomware than we were three years ago? No, <laughs> I don't think so. Uh, I, I think we're just getting into it. Actually, uh, this is so this is becoming concerning. a yeah. This is becoming a lucrative business model. Uh, people are the threat actors are making a lot of money doing this. Okay. And uh, so far, uh, there haven't been, you know, to Craig's earlier point uh, about, uh, you know, ran ran ransomware gangs and, you know, the whole mafia approach uh, to uh, organized crime around this thing. I think it's just getting going. Craig, any any hope? Any, anything uh, more positive? Yeah. yeah, I have hope. <laughs> There's still hope <laughs> Uh, in terms of preventing ransomware, I'd say no. I don't think we're any closer to preventing, you know, the initial ransomware compromise. I do think that uh, that we understand, you know, how the ransomware is operating, and it's actually responding and stopping it once it's actually started. I think there's a lot of hope around, you know, really understanding that part of it, the response mm -hmm. side, and stopping it there. And so I, you know, yep. I think if, if we take that approach and companies start to move, we're we're big fans of, of of stopping and mitigating it. Uh, I don't think it's going to the the input side is going to stop anytime real soon. I would not, uh, given the fact that you have a ten percent fish click rate, <laughs> the initial yep. compromise is coming. Um, or you know, you're using you know each time there's a new supply chain, you know, and and each each one of these you know ransomware groups is pretty much leveraging every prior supply chain you know vulnerability that may be unpatched you're just increasing the number of pathways in but i think we are closer to stopping the damage of ransomware assuming that companies focus on things like what you talked about network segmentation account segmentation they're really only about seven things that you need to do to stop it once it gets in and i think those who do that will likely stop it yeah but you know no risk no fun no ah, risk no fun right. Craig. <laughs> so, uh, so a little bit of a play on the final question um, from what I had sent you guys. Um, what? Uh, here's the question to you, Craig. Um, what proven or promising sec security technology uh, has has underwhelmed you? You know, I asked you initially what has high value in your experience, but I'm actually kind of curious. What security technology has underwhelmed or doesn't deliver or is, you know, you know what I mean? <laughs> Yeah, it's a good question, right? So I think, and and is it, I guess, hmm, that is a good question. Um, antivirus, <laughs> maybe it's one, but you know, of, of all the ones that I think are coming, you know, I think um, 
um, some of the ones that I think are very promising, but they've underwhelmed me a bit are things like, you know, some of the overlay technologies that are extremely promising, but for whatever reason, we can't seem to implement them in a way that's effective. And I, I'm hoping, I'm hoping they surprise me in the next year. Yeah. Mike, same question. Yeah. Um, yeah, we are working on some overlay stuff now, actually, uh, to see if you can get something out of it. There, there, there are other technologies too, where I think they've been uh, like Seam, for example, that have been in a way overhyped. Uh, mm -hmm. It's sort of a necessary evil, as it were, but actually extracting high value from these sorts of implementations is very difficult. And to, to yeah. you know, to get it to do what you want, it's 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 kind of like the old thing where oh yeah, let's log everything, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, oh, okay, then then what? <laughs> you, you, you know, what do you do with that? And it, you know, actually using it effectively is extremely difficult. And and so it, again, it, it these things were introduced, uh, you know, decade or more ago, and I'd say the effectiveness of these things has been not what folks originally thought they would be. Yeah, absolutely. I would agree 100%. Um, sims are good, but you know, it's it's like vulnerability management. It's easy to put a scanner in and scan things, but then then what do you do with the data? Like once you have the information, then what? Then what? You got to do yeah, something now, with it. So now what? What, what, what? And this means what to me? That, yeah. that this yeah, that's right. This is the big problem: is yeah. the action steps, and you know, it's it's a lot like having a lot of sensors. But no closed loop control. In other well, words, data lakes kind of have emerged out of this, right? Everyone has a different data lake for different data, different logging, and that's you know also another technology which we've become you know just a massive number of data lakes that aren't reconciled, and so mm -hmm. it just exasperates the whole issue. <laughs> yeah. Well, also if you have the wrong, you know, going back to the controls analogy, if you have you if you have the wrong control algorithm, you drive the whole thing unstable, and you, you can actually use the sensors to make the situation worse if if it's not being done right. Yeah, and that certainly wouldn't make anyone happy. <laughs> like your, your, your new toy, your new tool that you invested in and it's like, it's, it's causing more harm than good. Um, for, for me, real quick, I ranted about it on First Things First this morning, DLP, um, you know, I don't, I've never seen a properly implemented DLP that didn't have a, more false positives than true positives. Yeah. And, um, you know, I don't know. Some CISOs just absolutely love it. And they put it in front of, you know, way in front of things that like MDM, like what are we doing here? So anyway. It's very easy to demonstrate that most DLP stuff doesn't really work very well. Yeah. That's because everyone yeah. does. Yeah, that's right. Your identifier is essential. We should do that. <laughs> exactly. But I mean, we can get into a big argument about that, but it, it isn't very good. Yeah. So that concludes our five question segment. Like a boss. Like a boss. Okay. So let's, let's go back. Everybody had plenty of time to drop into um, uh, the raffle. So we're going to go ahead and pick a winner. This is for a uh, one month pro subscription to um, uh, Blue Team Labs Online. So good luck to everybody. Tony.
are signs, security risks. All right, Tony, congratulations. Right. Go ahead and uh, connect with me on LinkedIn or connect with me on Discord. Uh, base, if you can hit uh, bang Discord to, to pull that up for him. Uh, congratulations. Just sync with me and we'll get on to that. So let's get back to corporate cybersecurity governance, um, and, uh, corporate cybersecurity risk. Um, I wanted to ask, so this is, this went back a little bit, but you know, Professor Black Ops actually asked, do you recommend any framework? And then he added NIST 837, which is the, you know, the NIST RMF, risk management framework. But I wanted to kind of use this question as a launching to, to ask you guys from a corporate cybersecurity risk perspective, and I'll start with you, Mike, what is the value of, of frameworks or is it just to make you feel like that you can sleep better at night knowing that you have some kind of direction or something you can point to when you're talking to the board? Well, I mean, it's a way to organize the work and, and um, to show that you've covered, uh, you know, the applications of the various areas, things like this. It's, it's uh, the NIST framework becomes a kind of, it's a standard and everybody or in cyber understands it or think they do anyway. And, and the, we use it, but with expansions because uh, it's a bit out of date and it's being upgraded and revised now. And we're certainly involved in that activity actually directly with NIST and um, there are a lot of things in that framework uh, that there are a lot of things that need to be there that aren't there. They're just missing. Mm -hmm. And that goes back to this OT problem I raised earlier is that, uh, uh, you know, the, the frameworks and standards and everything always lag what's actually going on. And so that's, it's not that they're bad. And, you know, they just, they just need to be taken that way. So that, you know, yeah. they're not so, entirely so, current. Yeah, just to kind of uh, go back for a second. Um, so you you are working with NIST on improving the RMF right now? Yeah, I'll let Craig address that. Okay, yeah. I mean, that's that's exciting. That That's really exciting. <laughs> yeah, we've been inputting a number of different areas. Uh, not only that, but also just on the whole skills, you know, Cypher Nice and, uh, mm -hmm. and so forth. And so, yeah, we've been trying to, you know, implement enhancements. And again, you know, I think a lot of this comes down to whatever framework you use, uh, you know, whether 853, to tell you honestly, you know, I think is a lot for a medium-sized company or a small company to digest, you know, all 800, you know, controls in, in a 53. Now, you know, and, and so I think, you know, which, which set you use, you know, uh, varies depending upon who you are. But in terms of the, you know, the risk framework itself, uh, yeah, I think, having a structure for that. And again, where most people kind of struggle is how do you tie that back to the business continuity side, the impact to the organization, and how do you tie it back to the threats that are targeting you in that industry? And, and, and you know, regardless of which one you use, you need to go through that process and you need to have a structured way to evaluate that and then put some metrics in terms of that and then against your risk appetite and then add in the trade-offs you know, for your organization as a whole, if you can do all of that, and a lot of that's, you know, captured, you know, at a general level, at least in the risk framework, I, you know, I, I think, you know, that that works. Um, but again, it's, it's all in the implementation. The framework is just really a, you know, a broader structure to organize thinking. Uh, yeah, like a reference, a guidance. Yeah, it's a um, reference. For sure. Exactly. 
Yeah, and, and I agree. Uh, you know, kind of to what Mike was saying, um, like any other government thing, or like the CNA package that's three month, uh, three years old that we talked about earlier. Like the, these things, they're big pieces of work, and they don't, they don't, um, they're they're not. I mean, they're living documents in the fact that they get updated, but they don't get updated uh, fast enough to really account for the, the the dynamic environment in which we are trying to secure. So um, yeah, compliments to you guys now. trying to do that. Yeah, and I, I would say there, what we are seeing is there is intent to update these much more rapidly. And the reason for that is, is so they can actually penalize companies and try to enforce, you know, some of the changes that are happening so fast. That's actually the motivation is to encourage through incentives or penalties uh, that people are actually, you know, securing their systems. So I think you will see over the next year or so, uh, actually these, you know, coming much closer uh, you know, uh, with uh, where the threats are today. Yeah, and, and I'm I am biased. I'll admit it. I'm I'm an, a huge advocate of the NIST cybersecurity framework, but I do want to point out that they do update that a little bit more often. And the most recent update, it was all about adding supply chain risk management into the framework, right? So I feel like that yeah. is them listening to the public private sector, looking at what the threats are, and actually doing something uh, about it. Yeah, totally agree. Yeah, so, proactive. yeah. So let me let me give you guys this opportunity. I do this uh, near the end of the show um, every time. Uh, we'll start with uh, Craig. Uh, Craig, I'll give you the floor. It's yours to say uh, whatever you'd like to impart upon uh, the audience uh, before we before we go. Yeah, I would just say that you know I think the biggest challenge that uh, that we've seen on the risk side right now, uh, outside of just you know the lack of experience and lack of you know actually having people who can do it, uh, which which is hampering everyone, is what's really a major migration to the cloud, and this whole idea, which we haven't really touched on in this discussion, but I know a lot are are struggling with it, is is the whole zero trust paradigm shift, and really a complete mindset. And I think there is a belief, and I'm, I'm hearing it from multiple companies, um, which is that, uh, and, and it'd be interesting maybe think about this as you, as you go through kind of the shift, you know, kind of into into more, you know, cloud environments. But, you know, does on-site security, you know, doing on-site security, on-site SIM, as we talked about, things like that, actually bias someone from implementing cloud security effectively? And so, uh, you know, I'll kind of leave this as a final thought but you know this whole shift to zero trust and you know really looking at the trust of the device or the trust of the individual where the individual is now the perimeter i think changes actually how we look at risk assessment a bit and uh, it's probably one of the greatest challenges you know just from a skills and a mindset point of view as we move forward and so we're very interested in you know kind of how do we how do we get people you know into that new mindset and uh, we're even, you know, thinking about going so far here as to train people in cloud before we do any kind of on-site training now, uh, because it, it does bias people when you start to think about on-site security. And something maybe for all of us to consider as, you know, as, as, as the architecture and the infrastructure changes here, how biased are we towards on-site on systems? And do we need to actually almost reset our mentality, you know, over the next two years to secure ourselves into a zero trust the individual and the device and the trust of that, you know, before everything else, uh, you know, is, is kind of the new architecture of the future. So I'll leave you with that. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, I, I mean, honestly, Craig, I, I'd be curious, Chad, if you're interested in this, uh, make some hype in chat. Uh, I'd love to have you back on the show to specifically talk about risk associated with zero trust architecture. I feel like a lot of people talk about zero trust architecture as the paradigm from the engineering perspective, but they're not talking about the risk, you know, basically portfolio and how it, it, it dynamically changes. And I, I think we could have a really great conversation. Love to. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Mike Lyons, final thoughts for, for our audience. Well, I would just say uh, that this is a really exciting time for cybersecurity careers uh, because so much is going on. Uh, this is becoming a much more important uh, set of skills uh, that you can bring into uh, organizations or the government. And also uh, there's a, there's a, general trend going on in industry now, where is in this particular field, which is kind of unusual, uh, the need for uh, traditional degree programs and so on uh, is pretty going pretty much going by the wayside. And it isn't really required because it can be clearly shown that there's very little correlation between uh, traditional degree uh, programs and actually being any good as an operator in cybersecurity. So it's a pretty exciting time, uh, pretty interesting stuff going on. Thanks, Jerry. Yeah, my pleasure. And I, I couldn't agree with you more. Like, Mike, <laughs> not that I'm just trying to pad my media schedule here, but like, I think that that would be a really interesting topic. Um, you know, I, I'm not 100% sure on your background if it would be a good fit, but you let me know. And Chad, if, you, if this is what you're interested, it sounds like a lot of people want to do the Craig show. Um, talking about... <laughs> cybersecurity, um, I guess like college versus, you know, training, practical training versus certifications and kind of like how higher ed isn't um, what it used to be, at least within the cybersecurity realm of, of education, um, you know, basically expanding upon the point that you just made. Uh, if you'd like to have that conversation, I'd love to have you back on. Sure. Sounds great. Cool. All right. Well, let me send you guys to the green room. I, I really want to appreciate, uh, uh, extend my appreciation to both Craig Schultz and Mike Lyons. Um, I know chat really enjoyed it. There were some great questions that came in. You guys were excellent guests. I thank you for your time. I thank you for your thoughts and professionalism. And I really enjoyed having you. Appreciate it. And great questions. Love the audience here. <laughs> great audience. Fabulous. Thank you so much. All right. I'll send you off to the green room. All right, everybody. I hope you enjoyed the show today with Mike and Craig. I learned uh, some stuff. I love talking risk. I love getting into the nuances and getting beyond just the clipboard um, and all that nonsense. So let me just tease you guys. Um, we're doing first things first every weekday morning at 8 a.m. I don't have a, a little screenshot of it or anything right now. But if you're interested in getting your morning threat briefing uh, with a little you know, side of spicy, uh, come on in. It's a great chat. Uh, it's a good time, 8 a.m. on Simply Cyber. Now, what I really wanted to tease you guys, not tease you, but uh, you know, let you guys know, next Thursday, our live stream is going to be none other than uh, Cyber Beyonce himself, John Strand. You guys know him from Black Hills. He's coming on. He's talking about how his pay-what-you-can uh, business, uh, not business model, but the training that he does uh, with the SOC skills and the active defense cyber deception um, and, and what Black Hills is doing for um you know the the, the community essentially uh he's going to come on and talk about that and john's john's an amazing guy you guys know that uh good good friend of the community or good you know he's actually part of the community so 
uh, be sure to check it out. I don't have it, the live stream hooked up right now. I have to like create it and put it there. Uh, but come on out there. Okay. Let me stop doing this. All right. I got my outro music, which means it's, it's time to say goodbye. Y'all, I had a great time today. Thank you so much. Uh, look forward to seeing you guys next time. Congratulations to our winner of the raffle. And we will see you guys tomorrow morning, 8 a.m. Be good, okay? Thank you. <laughs>